morning also to each of you this morning, in the name of Christ. Certainly uh, enjoyed that service so far, and the, especially the Sunday school lesson. It was just thinking of, I guess my mind kept going about how did a generation arise that did not know the Lord. Eh? One of the things, I just thought I'd share this for the message, but one of the things I think that is a part of that whole thing is sacrifice. You know, the generation that moved into the land of Canaan under Joshua's leadership understood sacrifice. They had a lot of battles to fight. But then, like we talked about in the Sons Colossus, the land was subdued. They settled down. They had peace. They enjoyed the, the wine, the milk, the honey of Canaan. They dwelt in houses that they had not built. And you remember how that God had warned them through Moses that to be very careful because when that day came, it's going to be very easy for them to forget the Lord. And so you have a generation that arose that I believe, yes, they did not know the Lord, but they did not know sacrifice. You think about... um, you know, you, you can be applied to several different ways. You think about a business, a family business, where a lot of energy and effort is put into building that family business, a lot of sacrifice. And maybe the next generation understands it, maybe they don't. But many times, for sure, the third generation doesn't appreciate it. Um, and... Many times, businesses are lost, family businesses are lost by the third generation. Very seldom do they carry it beyond that, unless there's some dramatic change in, in business management styles. And, so, and I think a lot of that has to do, again, with the fact that that second or third generation does not understand the sacrifice, the hard work that went into building that. You think about it in church life. We talked a little bit about that in the Sunday lesson, but again, the, the sacrifice. You know, where a group of people, you know, led by the Spirit of God makes, you know, you could say it's a revival or makes major changes in their lives. Maybe they need to relocate to a new area of service. And just there's a lot of things involved in that. There's, but there's sacrifice. And then we kind of get comfortable in church life and, you know, things kind of just kind of roll along. And it's a challenge for us as parents then in the midst of plenty, in the midst of prosperity, in the midst of calmness, in the midst of, we could say, mature church life, do the young people understand sacrifice? And I think that's a a key to this whole thing of, of a generation that arose that knew not the Lord. And that's a challenge, I think, for all of us today in our lives that If you think about the history of God's people, peace and prosperity have really never been a spiritual blessing. Long term, it's really never been a spiritual blessing. The church has always grown and thrived under sacrifice. 
whether it's persecution, economic hardship, war, whatever it is, sacrifice. Just something to think about in relation to our lives today, our family life today. For our message this morning, I would like to think for a little while about uh, cultivating contentment. Realize tomorrow as we observe as Thanksgiving, and I'm not necessarily going to preach a Thanksgiving message as such this morning, but I'd like to talk about contentment, which is, you could say, a, probably a Siamese twin to Thanksgiving. The whole concept of contentment and Thanksgiving are wrapped up somewhat together. And in thinking of this, um, you know, Thanksgiving, you could say, begins with contentment. And so really, you know, the idea of contentment is the groundwork for, for a, a thankful heart. Now, there are many things within and without that can rob us of contentment. It can be because of a, of a spiritual deficiency, which is like guilt or defeat. There can be worry and fear. There can be covetousness and envy or even jealousy, selfishness and pride. Plenty or want, materially, can at times rob individuals, rob us of contentment. Sometimes it may be difficult to understand ourselves and why we at times lack contentment. And it's interesting, and we're not going to take the time to do this, but in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon uh, portrays a life of discontent a life that was always reaching and grappling and trying to find something to satisfy that inner hollow within his heart, that, that emptiness of, of not finding, you know, the perfect pleasure, the perfect experience, you know, and the, uh, the extreme of, of whatever. And so he lacked contentment in his life. He tried to fill this void by pursuing every aspect of pleasure, satisfaction, and central experience his wise brain could, could think of. And at one place it says there that he got weary just trying to think of something new to try, something new to do in, in the central pursuit that he was in. He searched out knowledge and philosophy. He tried to experience all the material pleasures and sensuality that he could think of. He accumulated vast wealth and great fame, but in the end, he did not find contentment, except in the Lord. And that's why he says at the end there, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. In other words, after I've said all this, after I've tried all this, the conclusion of the whole matter is to fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's where contentment was found after all that he, he did now, it's, it's what is fascinating to me in our human nature, how many times have individuals thought that somehow they could prove Solomon wrong? You know, whether, whether it's wealth or, or, or sensuality or pleasure-seeking, whatever it is. Why is it so hard for us to believe that Solomon mean, means what he says when he said, I've tried it all? I remember one man said, um, I know that they say if you, uh, you, you would win a million-dollar lottery, I know that they, everybody says that that doesn't satisfy me. He said, I would like to try it once, though, just to see. You see, it's that same attitude, the same mentality that we can have. 
we, we don't quite believe that that's actually the way it is. We kind of like to see for ourselves whether it's that way. Well, contentment. Now compare, contrast Solomon's words and his testimony with that of the Apostle Paul. Turn with me now to Philippians 4. Very simple scripture. One that we've read, quoted many times. But one that we keep needing to hear because we keep needing to work on this. That's why we call this cultivating contentment. Philippians 4 and verse 11, the last part of this verse is our text. It says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I've learned whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, I like to read, I think I'm going to read most of this chapter, all of this chapter, and we'd like to uh, just draw from this passage some things that help us to understand how we are to have the contentment that God wants us to have. Philippians 4 and verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eudeus and beseech uh, Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. These things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding ye have done, ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again to my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit, and may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, as sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need, according to his riches and glory, 
by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, in thinking of this idea of contentment from this passage, there can be a superficial or false sense of contentment. And that is when circumstances are favorable and there is a sense of material security along with satisfaction in maybe personal achievements or accomplishments. And this can produce a feeling of contentment. You get to the end of the day, you got the, the, the list done that you, were, you had hoped to get done today. There's a sense of contentment that you have. Um, you know, you, you made your goal. That is not really, really what we're talking about this morning because true contentment is not based on circumstances. We're going to be talking about that a little bit more later. But that's superficial. It is, it is, it is uh, a false sense of contentment when just everything is going our way, it seems, and it just, um, you know, life is good, and, and yet um, there are no challenges. Now, just as Paul learned contentment, in both times of plenty and times of poverty, he also learned to be thankful. We have that in this passage. Uh, verse 12, he says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. In other words, I have found contentment when things go all go well, when I abound, but I've also learned contentment when I'm abased. In other words, when things don't go the way I want them to go or think they should go, Everywhere and in all things, he said, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So the principle here is that this contentment is not based on circumstances. And again, thanksgiving is not based on everything, having everything that we wish we had. That's not thankfulness. True thanksgiving is, is and, and contentment is an attitude of heart that recognizes God as the giver of all things. And we're going to notice that. And so a person who has found his contentment, first of all, in Christ as a spiritual relationship will will necessarily be or automatically be a thankful person. And so contentment is satisfaction, whether with little or much. And again, we understand this. It's a very elementary principle, but so hard sometimes to remember when we're in times of difficulty. And so uh, Paul makes that clear that he had to learn this. It did not come natural for him. I don't think we're a natural, naturally we are a thankful person or a contented person. Uh, Now I'd like to think for a little bit about the foundation of true contentment. Uh, we must keep the, the biblical concept clear if we're going to understand it as a Christian because it's a call of God as a child of, a child of God to us. We need contentment. We need thanksgiving. First of all, the foundation of true contentment is being at peace with the will of our Creator. True contentment, true thanksgiving is that spiritual relationship that we have with God. And that's why the scripture would point out that fallen man is not naturally a very content creature. 
you know, fallen man is is restless and 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 discontent and unthankful. The Bible makes that clear and it describes those who are lost, those who do not have that relationship with Jesus Christ. It describes the wicked as the as a troubled sea that cannot rest, whose waters stir up mire and dirt. You know, that's the picture of the natural state of the human heart, a restless sea. And so there's not that contentment. So it begins, the foundation of it is being at peace with the will of our Creator. Again, a very basic concept of of understanding uh, that spiritual relationship with God. It has been said that true happiness and satisfaction in life can never be found by pursuing them outside the perimeters of God's will. And again, I think Solomon would be an illustration of that. Happiness, true happiness and satisfaction in life can never be found by pursuing them outside of the perimeters of God's will. It will always lead to dissatisfaction, unthankfulness, and chaos because such a pursuit will always end in the absurdity of self-deification. We talked about idolatry in the Sunday School lesson this morning. The whole idea of idolatry is really seated in self-deification. And that's where when, when um, happiness and satisfaction are pursued by mankind outside the perimeters of God's will, it always is selfish. It always comes back around to self-deification. And that's why it's empty. That's why people take their own life because they, have, they feel they have no purpose to live. And they, they found no answers to life. You know, it, it's an existential question of, of the meaning of life and, and why a person is, is alive. So outside of the perimeters of God's will, there is that, that, um, that dissatisfaction, discontent that will always be there. Secondly, we must also believe in the inherent goodness of divine sovereignty exercised in human affairs. This also is foundational for contentment and also thanksgiving. Recognizing and believing in the inherent goodness of divine sovereignty exercised in human affairs. Do you believe this morning that God is good? Do we always believe that God is good? Regardless of the circumstances that he sovereignly allows in our lives. Can we still say that God is good? You see, that, that's, that basic understanding is foundational for contentment with God and also thanksgiving to him. Any worldview that does not rise above the horizon of, the, the horizon of man himself is doomed to meaningless and frustration. Otherwise, the whole concept is focused on self, like we talked about before. So any worldview that does not rise above the horizon of a man himself is doomed to be meaningless. That's why there are so many people in the world who, you know, emotionally and, and mentally and spiritually are, are, and even socially, are bankrupt because, because of, the, of the very uh, nature, of the, of the sin nature that, that separates in relationships. And so it's that worldview that finally just comes back to self rather than 
points to God. A contented person is, first of all, at rest in the wise providence of a loving Heavenly Father. Have you, like I have, been disappointed sometimes with what life has handed you? Now, the older we get, the more we see those things. You kind of have this, you know, when you're young, kind of have this dream of where I'll, what I'll be or where I'll be financially, whatever it is, certain time in my life. Almost never does a person's life play out that way. Yes, we make our own mistakes and we have to deal with those. I'm not really talking about that so much as the sovereignty of God, the plan of God, the unfolding work of God in our life, what he calls us to do or not to do. And to understand and to still believe in the wise providence of a loving Heavenly Father. Whether it's the death of a loved one, the terminal illness, or you could go down the list of all things that can happen. I'm sure there's a lot of people this this morning, today, that are, you take in the Ukraine, that are struggling with the loss of loved ones and property damage and houses and whole villages blown apart for no sin of their own. They had nothing in it. But God allowed it. God is not the author of it, but God allowed it. You know the motto that we have on the wall sometimes? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Very true, very wise statement. So easy to hang that motto on the wall. So hard to live it out. To understand and accept, be content with the workings of a sovereign God. To find contentment in that. Paul said I had, he had to learn it. He said, I, I, I learned this. And, you know, as we get older, we go through life, we're still learning it. I'm still learning it. You're still learning it. God has various ways to teach us something of his providence, his will, his purposes, his sovereignty. And to find contentment in that, that's... That's, that, that, that's fine. Contentment shows faith, I believe, in God's providence, God's sovereignty, is an acceptance of what God has for us. Also, I think another part of this is all the deep desires of mankind do not lie within the realm of this material world, but in God alone, and in the supernal realm of his will. So again, this comes back to what I said before about you know the issue of, or the, the, the thought of the existential meaning of life. 
All the deep desires of mankind do not lie within the realm of this material world, but in God alone and the supernal realm of His will. And yet we are mortal creatures. We are material creatures. We live here. We have to deal with this life and the material world around us. But to understand that our true satisfaction, the true desires of our heart do not lie within this world. They lie in the eternal. And so when we have that eternal perspective and have peace with God through Jesus Christ and have made peace with the, you could say, the eternal world and eternal realities, it brings all the rest of life into focus. I read a, actually it was a, a video clip of an interview that a brother had with Pablo Yoder. I believe it was in the last week or so. Was, you know, he is a writer, an author, missionary in Nicaragua. Been there many, many years. Wrote a lot of books. You've read a lot of those books. Wasalala in Nicaragua. And he's dying of cancer very rapidly fading. And also read some of what his son wrote about his father. And what was just one of the things that is outstanding is that he's just content. He's just content. He said in that little interview, he said, if God chooses to heal me, I'll go on serving him the best I can. But he said... Um, if God chooses to take me, then my work is done and I'm ready to go. Either way, he said, I, I, I'm just totally at peace with whatever God decides. I think, think about that, you know, that contentment. The, um, I think I've heard a very similar testimony from your mother. Missy. Contentment. Yes, partings are hard. The um, in the last few days, I think Pablo Yoda there, he can hardly pray anymore. He said his mind he just can't focus hardly anymore. He can hardly form words. He just, he's relaxed. He served God faithfully and He's in God's will. I just use that as an illustration, you know, contentment. To be at peace. It's not just on someone's deathbed that we th- can use that illustration, but, you know, in our lives. You as young people, in seeking God's will for your life and serving, seeking to serve him, serve Christ, to find that measure of contentment as God leads you each step of the way. For all of us, Contentment doesn't mean that we never take next steps into in the will of God moving forward. But we're glad, we're always happy, we rejoice to be in God's will. And that brings contentment. Another part of this is, this is not contentment that is drawn from favorable circumstances. We talked a little bit about this, but a deep contentment is in spite of circumstances. True contentment is not merely pleasant, agreeable circumstances. 
I think it's also true that contentment makes you more independent or makes us more independent of circumstances. And, and really, when you think about that, because we have that deep contentment in Christ, because of salvation and our relationship with Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter so much what happens outside here in our lives because nobody can take away that contentment, that we spiritual relationship with Christ. All right, a few things in closing now. Cultivating contentment in our lives. Look at uh, verse 1 here, chapter 4. We need to maintain a spiritual relationship with our Heavenly Father through the work of Christ. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Notice those words. You know, that, that Paul was expressing there, and he said, you know, of his brothers in the Lord, he said, I rejoice in you, and you are my crown. He said, just stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. So maintaining that spiritual relationship with our Heavenly Father through the work of Christ is the basis for this contentment of life. Verses 2 and 3, we cultivate contentment by cultivating Good relationships with others. He talks about Yodius and Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. There must have been some struggles there between them. And he also, uh, verse 3, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, to help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. We cultivate contentment by cultivating good relationships with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Notice also verse 5, let your moderation be known unto all men. I'm not sure why I can't get this into my head, what the word moderation means. That's just used here in the King James. I, I was a little surprised again, checking the meaning of that word. I always have a tendency to associate it with temperance. That's not what it means. The word moderation there means gentleness or a sweet, being sweet-tempered or having a yielding spirit. That's what it means. Let your moderation, being sweet-tempered, should be known to all men. Graciousness. Like instead of Jesus, that they wandered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. There was a gentleness that, that attracted people to Christ. And there should be that that attracts people to us as a, as a Christian in our relationships, our moderation, our relationship, that sweet-tempered, uh, yielding spirit is part of this. Also, verse 6, we need to weed out of our lives the worry and anxiety that sometimes presses upon us be careful for nothing. In other words, don't be anxious. We're careful. There is the idea of, of anxious. Don't be anxious for anything. For, just be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Everything by prayer and supplication. When I fall into the trap, which I do far too often, of worry and fear, 
It's because I haven't prayed enough. I suspect you're made the same way. And yes, we can whisper a prayer, we can say a prayer, we can pray a prayer, whatever, but it's kind of on the go, which is good. Sometimes, you know, I think God doesn't bless us until we, he sees a little more sincerity on our part. Until he knows whether we really mean it or not. Everything by prayer and supplication. You know, I think the more of a praying people we are, the less there will be the anxiety and the fear and the worry in our lives. Which, of course, is replaced with contentment and thanksgiving. We also cultivate contentment by soaking the soil of our hearts with thanksgiving. Contentment is the opposite of murmuring and complaining. If you ever found yourself, like I found myself at times, complaining a little or murmuring a little, you know, we need to cultivate some thanksgiving. We need to stop and take a look at what God has blessed us with. We really have, have nothing to complain about, nothing to murmur about. And we have that here in verse, in verse 6. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That's why I think that our prayers, I think about it many times in a, in a prayer meeting, how many times I hear you, brethren, pray, and it's a thanksgiving. Yes, we ask God for this and that and, you know, his wisdom here and his help there, but, but a lot of our prayers should begin with thankfulness, and they do because of all he has done. That's part of a, contempt, a contented life. Verse 7, we must allow the peace of God to protect our minds and hearts from discontent and discouragement. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Peace of God, which passeth all understanding. So that's more than we can ever figure out. We can never know. You can never exhaust it. He says he's going to keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The word keep there has the idea of a guard or a garrison. It's like when the army surrounds the camp at night. You know, they have the watch set up. There's a perimeter watch. There's a, there's a garrison. There's a guard on duty. That's the word that's used there. And we have that. You know, in, in, in relation to peace with God, there's that protection of our mind and our heart is protected from all the things the devil would like to throw at us. I'm not sure how you find it. I find it sometimes. You wake up in early morning, can't sleep. I think sometimes the devil has a special special temptations to throw at us at night when we can't sleep. At least I find a bigger struggle of keeping fear and worry away from my door, the door of my heart, at night when I can't sleep. It takes praying. It takes supplication. It takes, you know, that effort. You know, but the promise is with the peace of God, that he's going to be there to, to 
form that garrison, that guard around us to protect our hearts and minds. And I don't think it's wrong in times like that to be praying and fall asleep while we pray. We don't normally don't think that's a good idea, but I'd rather fall asleep with a prayer on my lips, in the middle of a prayer, because the Holy Spirit would know the rest of it anyway. Take that to the Father. So, But I'm just saying, you know, that there's that garrison, that guard around us, protecting us. We also must cultivate healthy thought patterns. Verse 8. You know, you know this verse by memory. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, and so on. You know, and he's saying that, that this is, this is a, a healthy thought pattern that we ought to have. And what I really like is that it starts off, the first two are kind of similar. He says the things that are true and the things that are honest. How often do we, in discontent and, and lack of thanksgiving, are, is, and our struggle with that is because we're telling ourselves lies. We're thinking lies. That somehow God owes me this, or he's deprived me of this, or, you know, or other people and the way they treat me, and this isn't right. And, you know, and so wait a minute. We're to think about things that are true and things that are honest. And when we're honest with ourselves, we'd say that many a times those thoughts of doubt, those, those thoughts of discouragement are not even true. And we, we're telling ourselves lies. And if you do that long enough after a while, people believe those lies. Somebody that says, oh, you know, the victim mentality, oh, I'm no good, nobody likes me, and, you know, you know life, you know, everything turns out wrong for me. And, you know, there are people like that that, that that talk like that, and they tell themselves that, even other people. They may tell other people that too. But, but they're telling themselves all these lies, and they come to believe it. And it actually will affect them emotionally. It will actually it will affect them mentally. And there are people that are in mental institutions today because they allowed themselves to go down that road. And they come to the point of believing all those lies. And it, and it destroys their, their rational thinking. Here's a pattern. True, honest, just, pure, lovely. Good report. What does God want us to think about? Does God love us? <coughs> Excuse me. So we ought to think about things that are true. Verse 9. <coughs> Excuse me. We can cultivate contentment by learning from those who have learned contentment in their lives. And that, you know, the Apostle Paul here helps us with this. This would be one illustration. But I, I have been blessed by knowing people that are just positive people. Not just because of their personality, but because I think they've learned contentment. And they were satisfied with that. Verse 10, we call it a contentment by reaching out to serve the needs of others. Paul talks about them, you know, that they, they cared about him and they shared with him. And that was part of their contentment, I believe. Paul dedicated his his life to that. Also, lastly, 
go over to verse 19. We cultivate contentment by growing, by growing faith in the sustaining richness of God's grace. Verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Okay, we know that verse very well. We all can repeat it. Remember what it does not say. But my God shall supply all your wants according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that. All your needs. Who decides what our needs are? Who decides what our needs are? Well, we have something to do with that. We're to pray. Sermon on the Mount brings that out. But ultimately, it's God that says, I'm going to meet your needs. And he's going to do it in his own way, in his own, by his own purposes. Maybe you read that letter I had sent out again, I believe, last week from Anya Hirsch, Ukraine. A lady that was begging on the phone for a food parcel, something to eat. She said, well, we're not going to be getting to that area until next week. She said, I won't live that long. Uh, they did manage to get a food parcel to her, able to visit her. They got to the door, knocked on the door, heard some shuffling inside. And here she was, um, was it lame or she was able to walk anyway? She was sliding, sliding herself across the floor to get to the door for the food parcel. I think that woman was grateful to God. And then in that letter, Anya Hirsch says, how many people are there right now that are dying? Because you have nobody to bring them any food. Sometimes in life, I think it's especially important for us here in North America. I know we don't think we're wealthy. Probably don't think we have a lot. It's sometimes just really good to compare our lot in life with a lot of others in the world. And why aren't we more content? Why aren't we more thankful? When you think about some of the difficulties, God says, I'm going to supply all your needs. I'd just like to close with another familiar verse. First Timothy 6. 6 to 8 there says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. It's interesting. Godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, God is saying, that's really something that I look at and I admire. The combination of godliness and contentment. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Content. As a good friend of mine used to say, I've never seen a uh, U-Haul trailer behind a hearse. <clears throat> we brought nothing into this world. We're taking nothing out. I was uh, intrigued by the that verse as it was applied to the funeral of 
Queen Elizabeth, where there was this part of this little ceremony where they actually took the globe and the scepter and the crown, I think those were the three things, off the top of her casket before they lowered it into the vault. And she wanted it that way, specifically with this verse being read, that she brought nothing into this world and she was taking nothing out. All her, the jewels, the, the symbols of her, of her authority as queen of royalty was all removed because she said she will be buried like all other people are buried. Anyway, this always interesting, the concept of it at least. But it's true. As we think about life, we think about ourselves, some of the stresses of life at times, let's be sure to cultivate contentment, thanksgiving. It would be too bad if God would need to help us to learn these lessons the hard way. You know, we have not had war here in North America of any kind, really, since... When was the Civil War? 1860s, 1860s. Remember those dates? Not for sure, but but somehow we can maybe think that we are immune to that kind of suffering. And uh, let's be thankful. Let's be content that God doesn't have to teach us in some of those difficult ways, even though He certainly is working His will in many parts of the world today. Let's kneel to pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for that you're a, a providential God, a providential Father to us. And Lord, we realized again this morning that in so many ways we are not thankful the way we ought to be. And we're not as content as we ought to be with what you arrange in our lives and what you do and what we maybe couldn't wish for. Whatever it is, Father, we just pray that you would help us in those any time of the thought of discontent, when it comes into our minds and hearts, Father, just help us to look to you and your goodness and your faithfulness and all that you've done for us and leading us each step of the way. We know, Father, that if we, if we fail in thanksgiving, we fail in our contentment, that it will lead us into apostasy and will lead us away from you. And so, Father, we just pray that you would help us and encourage us we pray this morning again for those who are suffering in so many ways, especially in war-torn countries, under suppression, under persecution, under atheistic um, rulers. We just pray that you would bless each of your children with strength again today to stand up for truth and to honor you in their lives. We also pray for those who are suffering, suffering physically and are on their deathbed awaiting your summons. And may they have faith, may they have courage, may they have that illumination of, of holy thought as we, as we all in our lives also await our turn to leave this world and to meet thee in glory. May we each be ready for that time. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.